The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branston and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled The Epic History Podcast, USA Episode. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to Episode 1. Ladies and gentlemen, and pirates, and ninjas, and samurais, and viking, and nazis, and zombies. Well, okay, not zombies. Not yet, anyway. Welcome to Epic History, the most amazing, baconated, hour-long podcast dedicated to, yes, you guessed it, Epic History. I, of course, am Parker Bean, joined every week by my co-host Griffin Fester. Griffin, say hello. Uh, greetings, greetings, greetings. Everyone, how are you? Uh, doing doing well, Griffin. I'd like to say we are two uh, both fans of history and uh, participants in it, hopefully. And I am more of an amateur uh, historian, a writer for Upworthy, kind of a culture writer, things like that. That kind of teaming up here with the um, actual historian, Griffin, to kind of pleasure you guys every week some em- entertaining, epic things about history. Griffin, tell them a little bit about your educational background. Oh, sure. Well, like you do yourself dabble into history. Uh, I would be more described as a gentleman and a scholar, if you will. I'm a assistant professor of history at James Franco Technical College. And, you know, I just love history. We've been talking about this for a long time. And we're finally here. So let's dig right in. Yeah, I can vouch for the uh, scholar part, not so much the uh, gentleman one, if you will. Well, I'll prove you wrong yet. And we are joined today, and I know you're excited about this, Griffin, with uh, a, an amazing writer of history here. And I'd just like to say, sir, it's it's a pleasure for you to for us to have you here on our very first episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Haddock Philbin here, the great writer Haddock Philbin. Haddock, hello. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I can't complain. We're doing better uh, another Griffin. year here. Oh, definitely. I'm so glad to be on the show, joining you guys here. It's if you don't know me already, if you haven't followed my uh, my blog, um, Epic War. <laughs> I War. I have read every single entry since probably 2006 when I was yeah, still in high school. Yeah, you got a fan here. So I've been. You're you got, kind of the reason why I've gone into being a historian. I bought your book four times. I went to all the signings for it. I followed you around your book tour like you were Blue October. And you didn't remember me when I asked you to come on the show, but, you know, now you're here, and we're glad to have you. Yeah, he treats you like a regular rock star, like you're a Hootie and the Blowfish or something, Haddock. Now, Haddock... Well, I see, uh, I see a lot of young men on my travels around the country, <laughs> and um, I, I, I can't remember all their faces. And they all just kind of blend together, I assume. The general, you know, history fan is probably not too, you know, appealing on the eyes. Um, we all have the same... Know. Oh, we got some real ugly We all have kind of the oh, same sure. rimless IT guy glasses. I get it. But you know what? Yeah. I'm a little bit more handsome, I like to think. It's just, you know, the slight paunch kind of stuffed into a short sleeve button-up <laughs> shirt. And just kind of, kind of, you know, not really picking up your feet when you walk, and kind of walking real flat footed. Kind of so stare at women too long, but yeah, it's, right. All comes yeah, with the, if you're the whole package. you know on a, I mean, if you're walking on a gravel road, you're kicking rocks and that kind of stuff. Uh, Haddock, why don't you tell us a little bit about that book you went on the book tour for? What's it called? Well, I'm the author of America's Generals: The Generals That Built America. Catchy title. I think in a um, American history, 
The one problem I have with it is that it doesn't focus enough on the generals. You're the right. great men who made this country what it is, who shot the guns, who shot the bullets, who shot the cannons. Commanded the troops. And commanded the troops. Dictated what they the got orders, to eat in their mess halls. Who got to sleep in what tents. Passed out the MREs. Drove the warthog. Told them they're not allowed yeah, to be gay. Shot the prisoners. Oiled up the minigun. <laughs> And well, you always focus in your blog and your writings for years now. It's well, epic war, obviously, talking about how really people don't talk about war enough. And uh, there's not enough, you said there's not enough documentaries, there's not enough movies, not enough books about war. And uh, you've really kind of made a paradigm shift in the whole history world because of that. Uh, real, I, I'd like to ask you, Haddock, just uh, uh, from your blog and things like that, did you ever figure out which war was the most epic war? Well, the one in American history, the one with the highest death, highest death count has got to be the Civil War. Right. So naturally, yes. that would be the most epic. And as everyone knows, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff uh, in the Civil War, especially if you had a brother, well, they would split up the brothers, so the brothers always had to fight against each other in the war. So there's definitely a lot of personal kind of bad blood there in the Civil War. And that's something where I think we're going to touch on a little bit later as our inaugural episode. We're going to be talking about the most important place in the world, the United States of America, from early history all the way onwards. Right, and that's where it all began, really. That's kind of, you could say, where history began. For us, yes, but really, it's the most important history because who shapes the modern world? The United States of America. So who's important? Who's whose history is most important? Right. And you you try to talk to any kind of you know sixth grade seventh grade kid, and you bring up you know Genghis Khan snooze. You bring up Julius Caesar snooze. Um, you bring up you know Suleiman the Magnificent snooze. No one really cares about those guys. But the second you bring up the name Thomas Jefferson, their eyes light up. Their mouth starts watering. Kids love hearing about the Founding Fathers. And so do we. And that's what we want to give you here today. There's nothing cooler than a bunch of, you know, guys that wore big, stupid white wigs and always stunk that created everything. We still abide by everything they wrote down because that's just how they wanted it to be. Guys that lived in, you know, pretty hot temperate areas that wore about seven layers on their clothes and topped it all off with a big powdered donut wig. These guys <laughs> are powerful forces that have defined what it means to be an American, even today. Uh, let me ask you, Griffin Haddock, where do you guys think, where would you pinpoint the beginning of American history? Ooh, well, I wanted to talk to Haddock about this because we're going to take it all the way back to, you know, what you got to go, it's the... Uh, the Mayflower, right? The first... Well, actually, the first the first European settlement in America was Jonestown. Jonestown, Virginia, right. It was established in, I believe, 1607 by Jim Jones. And they tried many times to make that settlement work, but unfortunately, about 900 people died because of a poison. And uh, it, was, it became sort of a ghost town. It was almost like, uh, where is it, North Carolina... Uh, right. In a Renoke or whatever. And typically, you know, a lot of people don't know uh, specifically why the, everyone got poisoned. Uh, Griffin or Haddock, do you guys know? why? How, what exactly poisoned everybody? Uh, they, were, they were given diseases by the Indians. 
Right. This was actually the the location of this is how Thanksgiving started. They're all having Thanksgiving and then they all drank Kool-Aid together, but the 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 diseases that the Indians carried were they they <clears throat> they're basically their germs doesn't affect them because they're used to it. But the the real people that came over from Europe came over here and got them and it killed them. Right. And that's, you know, that I that's also where the phrase Indian giver came from. Right. Because yeah, they it's get, when you give someone a disease and they die from it. Exactly, exactly. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't. There's um, a lot of mis, misguided views and opinions on history. People are given false facts. Oh, that's what we're here to change, though, right? Right, and tell a little epic stories along the way. Uh, especially stuff that celebra- celebrate those brave men and women that came to Jonestown because a business sent them or whatever. Well, we talk about those... Uh, you know, people coming over in the Puritans, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, there's always people talking about the pilgrims and all that, but really a lot of notoriety surrounds Salem, you know, and the, the witch trials and the witch hunts, where they'd burn them at stake um, for being atheists. Now, what do we know about that? What can we talk about with that? Was, was it really witches? Were witches really real? Uh, I believe they did, actually, it, it, it only ended, right? The Salem Witch Trials went on for a long time, and then it ended because they got the witch. It was a Miss uh, Marie Strauss. They finally got her. She said, you got me, I'm the witch, and then she turned somebody into a frog, and then she was burned alive, and then that's the whole thing. That's all that you need to know is you just got to find the right witch, and uh, you got you to gotta break a few eggs in order to make an omelet. Well, she also sort of casted a certain spell on everyone before she left, uh, or was rather killed. Um, but uh, apparently, this spell sort of spread out through New England, and it made all of them dumb on top of being insanely racist. So, uh, which was, of course, you know, doubled over. You know, you have inbreeding and hereditary traits passed down, and then people, then the Irish came. And they all mixed together, and it got really bad because oh yeah, those settlers were originally I mean, English, and they were they were they were exiled from England basically for being too stupid. Right. Uh, a lot of people were coming over, and they show the you know kind of iconic images of the Mayflower coming up. You got the 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 uh, Santa Maria, the 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 Pinto. And then you have the 1999 GMC Sonoma. And those three boats came over carrying the original um, Puritans, right? And since they were all so dumb, when they got off the boat, there's a lot of kind of stories of this, of early documents, people kind of documenting the plight. And most everybody had those big, long paper hats that were pointed at the top that said dunce on them. People were stepping on rakes left and right. Buckets were falling on people's heads. And when the bucket fell on their head, they had the audacity to ask who turned out the lights. So the first year... They were so dumb, they didn't know where to put their belt. The belt is to hold up pants, but instead they put them on their hats. Right, because they didn't want their hats to slip off during the harsh <laughs> winds. But as everyone knows, a lot of the most overweight Puritans were ripped from the boats during storms because their big pants would fall down and balloon full of air, whipping them into the Atlantic Ocean. There's probably somewhere upward of about... 600 to a million dead Puritans in the Atlantic Ocean that were blown and carried off the boats. Um, And they also, that's where, you know, they didn't have anchors, so some of the ships got carried away too. 
And, uh, right. you know, it's a tragedy, but that's what it took to get here and start that new world, this new life, and this beautiful country that we love. And it, it was, was a actually- dangerous life, that traveling. Most of the time, they would see land after that long, terrorizing three-month journey, and they would just jump off the boat. They didn't understand what landing was, and they would all drown. <laughs> right. I mean, the hats with the buckles on were basically top-heavy at that point, and they'd drag them to their tombs. And none of them would think to kind of take off the hat. They were like, I got to get out of here. I got to go. Oh, I can't lose my hat. And they drown from the indecision. They had famine. That was one of the biggest problems. And everyone would say, oh, well, we just got to tighten our belts. Then they would tighten the belt on the hat and their skulls would pop. <laughs> right. Blood wouldn't get to their brain, so they couldn't, couldn't think clearly. They and just didn't of- know what that's saying, man. A lot of people say that's why Plymouth Rock was a successful colony and Jonestown wasn't. Because, essentially, the Native Americans took pity on the simple Puritans and were able to feed them and teach them classical um, Thanksgiving meals. Oh, that's also Um, where the classic, you know, the trope of someone starving on a desert island or a beach, and they they turn to their friend, and their friend turns into a big roasted turkey, you know, with legs. Right, or a... It's that's bone in ham or anything. Right. That's where they got the idea for Thanksgiving where what do we eat? Turkey and ham. It's because of that and also the Indians that that came from. But also the Indians were interesting because they realized when they got there they're like, "Oh, these Indians from India beat us to this to this uh country." But right. they didn't they're, they're like, "Well, I guess they're too stupid to establish a country and they're just living here." So Right. They really were Indians and not natives. The actual Native Americans were uh, white, but they were killed off by the uh, the Big Wreck, which uh, which right. is a comet that hit the United States. There's uh, a Big Wreck that that killed you know the original kind of uh, lost tribes kind of style Native Americans, and you know. And, you know, while there were kind of political kind of organizations around the Iroquois League and stuff like that, the Iroquois League um, essentially was just a country club that kind of other people weren't allowed in. So a lot of times when the Americans came by, they just, well, the original Americans, they just pretended they didn't know them. But moving on, we got to talk about, of course, not just the, the, you know, sort of the landing of America or the United States of America, but... It wasn't the United States of America yet, was it? There wasn't even colonies yet. So let's talk a little bit about the freaking epicness of the Revolutionary War. How, or, you know, oh, how America yeah. got its nuts, oh, really. Yes. Well, let, let's talk a little bit first. Um, you know, gentlemen, Haddock, Griffin, why did America want to separate from England? I think it's been... Uh, argued for many years. Um, like I said, well, the, initially they were exiled for being too stupid and too freaky with their religious views. But then they decided, well, this place isn't so bad, and England is way smaller and rainy, and the food sucks, and you know they're sick of having a king. You know why don't we why don't we become our own kings? Is what they wanted. Right. Why don't we have a country where everyone is a king? Kind of like a DJ Khaled song. <laughs> right. It was a country of entrepreneurs. Right. Uh, people that wake up every day and they, they go on the grind. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they hustle. You know, that they is a country that they They weren't asking for handouts. Envision. They're not like these young 
uh, you know, these young kids in, you know, like the DSA asking for hands out, handouts and wanting socialism, right. a.k.a. communism, which didn't even right. exist at that time. But they actually worked for what they had. Right. They Essentially, wanted the freedom to develop their country as they saw fit. Right. Like the, like the great Benjamin Franklin said, rise oh, and grind boss. and get that pussy. Right. Benjamin Franklin... Benjamin Franklin uh, would wake up in a grog and write a letter for his newspaper publication. Um, he'd put on his tiny little weird glasses, he'd do some snuff, and he would roll over, sitting completely naked while he scrawled this down, and he would say, let's wet this money, which was him actually <laughs> meaning to say, let's get this money. But that's how that right. caught on. And right. Benjamin Franklin, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote of him, um, as being, you know, a ladies' man, you know, a people's person, a man's man. Because he would, in France, he was an icon, a fashion icon. This little right. uh, rotund, bald, lipless man had the best fashion, according to everyone. And, you know, the French had the best taste in everything. So Ben Franklin had to be pretty good. And Tom Jefferson had said he had the best snuff, and all the men wanted to be him. All the women wanted to be with him. And, um... <clears throat> Well, I actually have a letter written by Ben Franklin here. Um, oh, go ahead. Benjamin Franklin had some advice to a young friend of his on the choice of his mistress that he wrote to him in 1745 after his friend became engaged, I believe. Uh, just for context, too, this is the kind of thing that guys would do back then. Um, you'd write letters talking about what kind of mistress you want to get. You know, how do I make sure my slate... What, where's the best spot to hit my slaves to make sure they listen? Things like that is kind of how the correspondence would go back and forth. June 25th, 1745. My dear friend, I know of no medicine fit to diminish the violent natural inclinations you mention, and if I did, I think I should not communicate it to you. Marriage is the proper remedy. It is the most natural state of man, and therefore the state in which you are most likely to find solid happiness. Your reasons against entering into at present appear to me not well-founded. The circumstantial, circumstantial advantages you have in view by postponing it are not only uncertain, but they are small in comparison with, the, with that of the thing itself, the being married and settled. It is the man and woman united that make the complete human being. Separate, she wants his force of body and strength of reason. He, her softness, sensibility, and acute, acute discernment. Together, they are more likely to succeed in the world. A single man has not nearly the value he would have in that state of union. He's in, he is an incomplete animal. He resembles the odd half of a pair of scissors. You get the prudent, healthy wife. Your industry and your profession, with her good economy, will be a fortunate sufficient. But if you will not take this counsel and persist in thinking of commerce with the sex inevitable, then I repeat my former advice. Then all your amours, you should prefer old women to young ones. You call this a paradox. And demand my reasons. They are these. One, because they have more knowledge of the world and their minds are better stored with observations. The conversation is more improving and more lastingly agreeable. Two, because when women cease to be handsome, they study to be good. To maintain their influence over men, they supply the diminution dimin <coughs> dimin of beauty by an augmentation of utility. They learn to do a thousand services small and great, and they're the most tender and useful of all friends when you are sick. Thus they continue am am amiable, and hence there is hardly such a thing to be found as an old woman who is not a good woman. <laughs> Three, because there is no hazard of children. 
which are regularly produced may attend may be attended with much inconvenience because through a more experience they are more prudent and discreet in conducting an intrigue to prevent suspicion the commerce with them is therefore safer with regard to your reputation and with regard to theirs if the affair should happen to be known considerate people might be rather inclined to excuse an old woman who would kindly take care of a young man form his manners by her good counsels and prevent his ruining his health and fortune among mercenary prostitutes five because in every animal that walks upright, the deficiency of the fluids that fill the muscles appears first in the highest part. The face first grows lank and wrinkled, then the neck, then the breast and arms. The lower parts continuing to, <laughs> continuing to the last as plump as ever. So that covering all above with a basket and regarding only what is below the girdle is impossible of two women to know an old from a young one. <laughs> and as in the dark, all cats are gray. The pleasure of oh. corporal enjoyment with an old woman is at least equal and frequently superior, every knack being by practice capable of improvement. 6. Because the sin is less, the debauching of virgin may be her ruin and make her life unhappy. <laughs> 7. Because the compunction, compunction is less, the having made a girl, young girl miserable may give you frequent bitter reflections, none of which can attend to making an old woman happy. 8thly and lastly, they are so grateful. Thus, much for my paradox, but I still advise you to marry directly. Being sincerely your affectionate friend. That was what? a man ahead of his time. The average female lifespan back then was actually 23. <laughs> so he, he was the only guy who wasn't a pedophile. Uh, you know, a lot of people just don't know about Ben Franklin. He's a dirty, nasty toad. He's a gross He's a little worm. Dog. He liked to plow. He's always... He loves you know, to just write a 20-page letter explaining what the process of aging is to right. someone unsolicited. I want to know what these mercenary prostitutes he talked about were. It sounds really cool. Were they Hessian? I don't know. Um, but I think you, the one thing that people need to understand is just, you know, imagine Philadelphia, 1776. It's 100 degrees out. Ben Franklin is probably laying on a white sheet and he's rolling over and there's a whole body imprint of his naked weird green, body, green body right. imprints, stink lines. Um, you know, he's just a dirty, nasty toad. It is a well-documented fact. And he was basically back then. I mean, I think we'd all agree the pimp of America. Absolutely. He was the main pimp. He was, the oh, he was, he was balls deep in the slime. That one. He invest, he invented. There's a reason. Probably. I'd there's say there's a reason why 74, 75% of the HPV strains that are still in use today when oh, he yeah. accepted his first ambassadorship to France. That's he something just, a lot of people don't know, that he was an inventor as well. He invented uh, the light bulb. Uh, he invented uh, the cat or nine tails for uh, whipping slaves nine times as fast. Uh, he, he and, uh, he, as he, you he, said, HPV, of course, he which I have myself as, as a tribute to him. Uh, he invented the casting couch. <laughs> he invented, um, well, he had an idea for video games back then, but, you know, they kind of dismissed it. But there's a reason why Ben Franklin... The feminists of the day uh, quashed the invention, the SJWs. Right. Oh, yeah, that was sort of like a sleeper group that was thankfully suppressed by um, Ben Franklin and, you know, Washington and Jefferson but there's a reason why Ben Franklin is on the $100 bill. It's because he kept it 100 Right. He kept it 1600 as well. 
Ooh, you know, he was president. He cheated on his wife. He slept with all kinds of weird prostitutes. He wrote letters to younger friends talking about old women's butts and talked about, you know, that, you know, they all are, all cats are gray in the dark, meaning, I guess, pussy. Yeah, like, I'm not if sure. it's a hole, like, I can, you know, put my weird little toad in there. Right. And grease it around. He was a corpulent little fat man like the floating barren guy from Dune who was just trying to always put his greasy little toad into some hairy stuff. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin's newt was probably inside every single hole he could find, you know, over the 300 years he was alive. So... Um, you like similar to how if you go on ancestry.com you can kind of figure out stuff like that ancestry.com i'd say about 75% of users had one of their mothers along the line the matriarchal lineage definitely fucked ben franklin yeah and if you don't have ben franklin dna in you you definitely have the dna of hpv in you which is you know right. kind of the same thing so and you and you and you definitely if any antique furniture, there's probably some Ben Franklin DNA on that as well. Right. And he's... I've got an antique chest that's got uh, what appears to be semen in the bottom. Well, it's just not a, say, a stain. It's just straight semen. It's still wet somehow, which <laughs> I, I believe is a function of the HPV bacteria. Right, I think so. I think you, it's kind of gelatinous almost. If uh, you could bring that in, I'd love to take a look at that. Well, that's uh, yeah, it moves sometimes. The that reminds me of the old uh, American legend of Johnny Appleseed. He actually was called just Johnny Seed, because um, he just he you know he just trek across the country and he just you know leave his seed Jack all over off. everything. That's how those trees came. They you know he had seeds in there for some reason. I guess right. he'd eat the seeds and somehow they go down the wrong duct and then they'd come out there. And so he plant- He's extremely mentally ill. And they call extremely it they, they call it apple seed because he was you know, there are apple seeds that he was planting, but it's like really it was like it's just his own seed, but it's like he'd walk around cranking it, he'd you know, cross one state border, he's already cranking it, they're like, Oh, here he comes again. Right, yeah, here he comes. It's just like All right. you know, he was real, it's not just a myth, just like Paul Bunyan and his uh Paul Bunyan was real, the blue ox was real. What was the blue ox's uh, name? John uh Babe. And it was called Babe because Paul Bunyan was in love with it, and it was his wife. Right. Yeah, it was his wife, and that's why he kind of traveled as well, to kind of avoid the pitchforks. And right. It was definitely less innocent, more of a kind of Frankenstein scenario, where he kind of gotten chased around from town right. to town. Right. Well, I mean, like, people just don't want to see him kissing that blue ox, but, you know, it's America, what? a land of freedom. Let's get back to the uh, Revolutionary right. War. We kind of talked about here. some of the found some of the founding fathers and things there too um so we talked about president benjamin most, franklin his importance president, and, and and i know that um we talk about um george washington probably the most well-known who was a general at the time and i think haddock you have some other generals that you can tell for us from the revolutionary war is that correct i do yeah george washington gets a lot of the credit for the revolutionary war but there are a lot of other guys that really put in their share of the fight and they don't get remembered for it. Like one that I outline in America's Generals is General Hamblin Tittle of the 7th Regiment in Indiana Riflemen. He fought in the Revolution, he was a hero of the War of 1812, and he actually invented the Needler from Halo. Oh, In 1831, in order to give smallpox to Indians. Amazing. It's the unsung. Amazing. That's what your book's about: is the unsung heroes. 
Uh, who else? Yeah, the, the forgotten, the forgotten men, and uh, well, just men of uh, that built America and made it what it is today. Right, unsung generals. We really just don't give generals, which are, if you think about a general, what's a general? It's the ultimate troop. And we just don't give the troops enough credit. We don't give the generals that even more so. It's not in a like sense, they're... the the general is the president of the army, and the president right. is a king of a country. And if right. an army is its own country, the general is, is the king. he just reigns supreme. Well, it's a president. He's the emperor. It's a president because we we're trying to get away from kings. That's the whole point. But I yes. I, so yeah, I get what you're saying. That makes sense. Well, of course it does. Um, any other the generals expert. there, Haddock? Well, I got a lot of generals that I love in this book. It's it's a really great book. It's uh, only available at Kmart. But if you pick it up, it's seventeen ninety nine. Another one is Confederate General Gibbous McCafe, the 2nd Brigadier Cavalry, Tennessee. He was a, a Civil War general. He fought for the Confederacy. Oh, I remember reading about him. He was famous for... Oh, I'm sorry for stepping your toes. I just get so excited. <laughs> He was, um, his name was Bad Jack. That was his nickname. He would come into the battlefield on his horse, and then to get it to stop, he would just shoot it in the back of the head, point blank. <laughs> and he would just go flying off the top of it, and <laughs> it would strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. And eventually, um, he snapped his leg right off, flipping off of one of his horses, one of his, uh, one of his dead horses. And his leg had to be amputated after being struck by a mini ball after it was <laughs> well, <laughs> after it was already knocked off. Well, it was, they couldn't sew it back on because it also got shot. And he his solution, he was actually the first disabled general, the first uh, prosthetic limb. Ah. He would lash his leg to his best slave like they were in a potato sack race. And they would run around like that. <laughs> that's how we survived the rest of the war. Wow. Oh, Innovation. Wow. That's amazing. The men who built America. And I knew that, uh, and actually just a little tidbit about him as well, that horse tactic, he was actually a big fan and he read Sun Tzu's Art of War. And he would essentially do it as a mind game to intimidate the opponent because they never would suspect it. And also, typically, you would have sharpshooters that would aim for the generals. And with this way, they think, this guy is so stupid. There's no way he's a general. We should even avoid trying to shoot him because it'd be a waste of our time. Yeah, they would, they would think he just stole that horse. He was wearing regular clothes. He wasn't <laughs> he even never, wearing a uniform. He never wore a uniform. It was typically kind of, you know, one of those kind of dusty denim shirts that had a lot of chili stains and stuff like that on it. Yeah, he was actually the first general to wear basketball shorts on the field, <laughs> uh, increasing his uh, aerodynamicity right. uh, w- while he was fighting the enemy. <laughs> he also was known to just wear, like, Tevas while he... Uh... Yeah, rode the horse. He said, like you know, it, it, they breathe well. Is what he'd say, and uh, you know, no one understood understood that. But you know, he said he picked it up from the monks in a monastery that he uh, visited, and that's wow. where God told him that he was to be the basically, you know, the president of slaves, and. Uh, I don't think he ever reached that goal, but you know it was always stuck in no. his mind. So. No, he. You know, he, the general is like the president of war, right? And war is the game of kings. If, if that's you know, and even just through that metaphor, that means that among generals, he would be like the kind of pope 
of war. Well, I think like, that's the Pope Washington. Is, the Pope is sort of the general of, uh, of the church. I think Washington right. is like the Pope of war because he's like, the Pope is like the king of uh, Catholics in Catholic, if the Catholics are the, the army, uh, right. then the war if on Christmas of, is the Revolutionary War. If you think Bill of O'Reilly this, is sort of the king of the war on Christmas. Right. Right. If you think of the Civil War as like backyard wrestling, then he was kind of the Antichrist of backyard wrestling. I definitely get that reference. Um, right. Now, do we have more generals that you want to talk about? Should we talk about no, any other? No, that's all of them. <laughs> Excellent. Well, oh, that's what talk about. I'm looking, I'm looking at the book now. I did, it's pretty good for a 30-page book. It's been selling pretty well. Yeah, it's just it's bound with a, a staple. <laughs> Wow, it's mostly pictures, and I'm kind of looking at it here. It's easier to read yeah, pictures. Yeah, I, I drew every one of those. Oh, my God, they're not very good drawings, but, you know, I can kind of see what guess what they would look like from it. Yeah, you can see uh, the guy on a horse. Uh, there's actually a flip book. If you flip through it in right. the bottom right corner, you can see him shooting the horse in the back of the head, flipping oh, off. Oh, look right. at that. Now he's, having, like, hopping around Having his slave. legs snap off. Oh, then my God. The, then the leg couldn't be sewn back on because it was shot with a mini ball in midair. <laughs> Oh well, that, the slave I, that I, he attached I, him, Jiminy, was the one who actually killed him in cold so blood. Yeah, eventually he uh, he outran him and just dragged him. <laughs> they were they were lashed together by the leg, and the the slave got scared and he started running, and then he just dragged Mick Cafe behind him for miles wow. and miles. Wow! Eventually he looked back, and all that was left was uh, just just the shoe, just the general's <laughs> shoe. No one ever found it. <laughs> Uh, a soldier's death. Right. And yeah, so that's, that's dying like a man. Now there is also the um you know, there is uh you know, there is Jam Blanford, the general in the Revolutionary War, who carried a claymore on his back. And he also had I think he had like dual wielding like musket pistols that he would use. But uh, he would not. Yeah, ride he was a horse. actually the inventor of uh, shooting when you shoot a flamethrower in the in the gas tank, right? Because none of the bullets hit him. If you hit him, even hit him in the head without a helmet on, you have to shoot him in the gas tank, and then it immediately explodes. He invented. There that. was random gas tanks all over the battlefield for some reason. That were <laughs> yeah. Placed. He invented critical hits. Um, and uh, <laughs> Jam Blanford, General Jam Blanford, uh, he didn't ride a horse. He uh, well. Parker, what did he ride? There's a little education um, for Haddock he, here. He kind of he wrote, had... a, uh, he, oh, he wrote a, a standard military vehicle, but he was also known for uh, shooting it in the gas tank to get it to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the, the explosion would you know make him fly forward into the battle, and he you know twirl through the air with his akimbo muskets. But um, right, kind of just like the ball of death flying through the air. Right. Yeah, he would stop time. He would do the Matrix thing. <laughs> It was really cool. Yeah, I think he's the first guy. It was ahead of its time. He invented bullet time. And this is like the guys you don't hear about so much. You hear about right. like, oh, you don't Washington. Hear about these oh, he guys chopped here. down a widow Joey Twee. And, uh, right, like, yeah. Oh, did I do that? I cannot tell why. Like, grow up, buddy. Cherries fucking suck, too. Um, oh, well. So, moving on from the Revolution. Well, the Revolutionary War is like, you know, we kicked their asses. Um, you know stomped on them we didn't have any casualties not one american died and right um 
we killed probably like 2.3 billion Brits. I think, yeah, 2.3. They just kept sending them um, over and over and over, like one boat at a time. And by the time we won it, it's almost like a Europa Universal situation. By the time we won it, they kept sending about 1,000 troops at a time, boat by boat by boat. And we were just waiting there with our armies massed. And essentially, it was just like a shooting range. That's actually what Uh, Manhattan was. It was just a pile of British bolt. Boats and right. corpses. And judging by the British Eventually, Navy, started if I'm going to go off of uh, Civ Five, just judging by the British Navy in that game, they should have just destroyed us. Right. But that's not how it works in real they life. They had the plus one movement points, and they still couldn't do it because they right. didn't have freedom. They didn't no, have they the did. freedom civic. Right. That's where they fucked up, and that's where America got its nuts because America, you know, we don't take shit. We're not going to let so, those redcoats, you know, fuck us over. And the coolest thing we ever did is we took their tea and we threw it in the ocean. And we made tea right. in the ocean. It said, drink this, you stupid frogs. It's all salty Yeah, we now. felt we owned, th- we took that tea that we already paid for and just dumped it in the water. Like when you go to Starbucks and, uh, and pay $8 for a coffee and tell them your name is Veteran. I Love Roseanne Barr. Right. Right. And to it's, trigger them. You're, you're showing them. Right. So we have the Revolutionary War, which we won. Right. And a little bit later, com- a little bit later comes you got, next. Uh, you know, we talked about Ben Franklin being right. the man. Uh, another guy, a little guy I like to talk about is uh, Andrew Jackson. You know, Ben Franklin yeah. may be on the $100 bill, but on the $20 bill, which you probably see more, you little broke worms, is right. my man Andrew Jackson. And that guy... Listen, when he bought the Hermitage Plantation in, uh, you know, like, 1807 or whatever, 1804, there's about nine slaves there. When he died, there's 110. And making moves. Making wow. that sweet cashola. Grown that sweet man Making moves. money moves. Right. Growing that cotton, making moves, making that doche. Right. He was just on that grind. Andrew Jackson was the second American, like, after Brent Franklin that was right. truly on his grind. And, you know, he was the original Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Right. And he spent his entire life, like, epically adulting like a boss. And If cocaine would have existed, Andrew Jackson would have been no, like, an inch deep in a pile every second of every day. He was like a cross between Leo uh, DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street and Leo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. <laughs> right. Which is twice as cool as either. Super epic. Probably ate bacon and for every meal. And also, Leo DiCaprio on the Ga- Great Gatsby. Right. And yeah. also... And uh, in Titanic. And in What's Eating Greek Gilbert Grape. Well, the thing... Well, that's interesting. We talk about the Titanic. It was... You know, there's... This is American history we're talking about. There's Americans on that boat. You guys saw the movie. And... Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, James Cameron. Right. What's interesting about the real Titanic, though, is that people don't tell you that everyone on that boat was a pedophile. Right, they don't tell you that. And, and that, that iceberg yeah, I, was a miracle that it popped up God, and killed yeah. all of them. The ones who survived probably should have been jailed, but... Right. I mean, it was originally a prison boat headed for Australia. Right. As everyone knows... There was no women on the, the actual Titanic. Right. It was all a bunch of, uh, you know, they call them sheep shaggers, but what they meant, they're actually, you know, they're pedophiles. Yep. And yeah. it never made it to Australia, obviously, but it went somewhere better. 
They all went right. to hell. Hell. <laughs> Where they belong. So, you know, we have the kind of stuff like that happening. Revolutionary War. Then we kind of get the Declaration of Independence and all that stuff happening. Andrew Jackson's and, around. And, you know, the, but then we get to the next big the war. Ar- the real bad boy. Uh, 1812 or the Civil War, you mean? Why would 1812 be the big one? War, the War of 1812 is really kind of mm. war that people know. 18, well, the like war we of talked about, like, Haddock sort of... said the best war was the Civil War. So the Civil War is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Civil War. That's what I meant. All right. We talk about Civil War. Right. Sure, we're going to do, le- like, the Revolutionary War, and, and then we're going to talk about Civil War. What the fuck are you doing? Don't want to talk about 1812. Only you talk about 1812. You like jerk off about 1812 all the time. 1812. No one cares about the 1812. It's not even really a war. It wasn't even a war. It's like it was a couple British guys that wanted to burn down the president's house, and that's essentially all it was. And I just no, that was him knocking over a candlestick and like a a the president is the king of war, and Uh, the White House is his castle. Right. And a man's castle is his domain. Right. Right. King of the that's what war is all about. That's Sun Tzu. I, I have a letter here from the Civil War that I kind of got for you guys. I thought oh. you guys might like to enjoy. Right. This was uh, written by a soldier, Beauregard, Alabaster, Leroy, Dipshit Johnson here. And this is a letter to his wife. I have it. I think it's a good context, a good jumping off point for the Civil now, War. Most was he, well, like, you know. We don't judge either side here because they're all brothers in war and they're all fighting for what they believed in. Was this guy a rebel or was he union? Um, well, let's let's let the letter tell. I think you'll be able to tell from some context clues. Okay. Dearest Mabel. Can you do believes... a little sort of an accent? Oh, yeah. What kind of... Uh... Well, wherever you think he'd be from. Should I go uh, kind of gentlemanly southern or maybe like a foghorn leghorn type southern? That's, you know, dealer's choice. Okay. Just for the let listeners, me, let me, get a little bit more into it. This is right, history, right, folks. Right. Uh, maybe play some, like, the editor. Could you play some, like, that kind of whining, emotional violin music that they always show? And, you know, if we ever do a audio, a video version of this, maybe just a stained parchment and those right. photographs where everyone looks like somebody just died. And they're propping them up, yeah. Right. Kind of like a Dutch painting. Um, yeah, so go ahead. All right, start the violin. Here we go. Dearest Mabel, the leaves are turning, and if even just for a moment, I am able to cast my eyes not on the bloodshed and savagery surrounding me, but of the brilliant yellows and oranges that the autumn year bring. Such thoughts like that seem to be of another life at times. My thoughts turn fond to those of you in home and starting a family together. Mabel, all beauty and warmth and kindness in the world is born from you to me. I can't even look at the night sky without thinking you played some kind of hand in it. I love you, Mabel, thoroughly and dearly. The doctor took another leg today. If you're counting at home, that's two. Two legs I lost. (laughs) A Yankee bullet. That's right, honey. I'm a Confederate soldier. Shot me a millimeter away from my big freaking honker. You know, that goddamn Johnsonville brat I got swinging down there. There was so much blood on the battlefield, most fellas had to change their socks. War is crazy, honey. I shot four guys in the head today. Right before that, blowing their brains up and stuff. Made a huge mess everywhere. A fella next to me got shot in the guts. And they all came spilling out like candy out of a pinata. 
and like a total dipshit, he was trying to stuff his guts back into himself. I reflected on this a lot. I think the superior choice is to die with dignity rather than have all your army buddies think you're a dipshit trying to stuff your guts back into your body after they fall out. Winter is coming. The snow slows down the armies and most think the Union will be content to wait out the cold till spring. Of course, this prevents me from coming home, but you know, we gotta do uh, you know, whatever it is we're doing down here. This thing for the slaves or whatever. Forever yours, Beauregard, Alabaster, Leroy, Dipshit, Johnson. That's beautiful. People had a way with words back then. Yeah, it's they really did. Up there. Yeah, that was when men were men. Right. When they would get their legs blown off and then write Talk a postcard with Crane complaining about it. War was a right to fight in. Human war right. War is a war is a human right. All men and women under the United States of America have the right to war. War is like a game, a game of war. Fire you can almost age. compare it to chess. We live in a fire age, the age of fire. War is like a tic-tac-toe, but with guns instead of pencils. And with the guns w- and bullets instead of X's and war, O's. You could almost say that war is... Hmm. War is like a game of sorry... But you're not sorry. And the spaces are uh, cities. And uh, war is like a game. Well, okay. War is like a game of Connect 2 or Connect 4. What's it called? <laughs> it's Connect 2. War, it's like a game of Connect 4 because you have to. You know, some are black and some are red. You have to keep red. all four of your limbs. Uh, um. I actually have a follow-up letter here, if you guys would be interested in hearing that before we get too far along. Okay. Uh, now, where is this gentleman to... from? Or should um, I wait? This is actually... Th- it is a letter to the same woman, Mabel, and it's written by uh, Beauregard's brother, Dundas. Oh. Interesting. Turn. Dramatic Turn. So I'm gonna do the accent again because I had fun. Well, maybe doing like, the first kinda, time. Maybe I kind of like change it up a little right. bit because so people know so, it's a brother because they'll get confused. It's a different guy. This is a different guy. Well, don't confuse. So them. maybe maybe I'll do like kind of a like a southern lawyer one on this one. Okay. Dearest Mabel, I take no <laughs> pleasure in sending you this letter, but I thought it could come from family rather than from the great General Robert Lee. As you know, your husband is a Confederate soldier, as am I, as your husband was my brother. My name is Dundas Dingus Ivory Wayans Johnson, and I am disappointed to tell you that Beauregard is... Beauregard had no more legs to give to this great new country and has passed away this morning. Having no more legs to give, Beauregard was shot in the dick by a Yankee repeater. Blew a hole straight in the middle, pretty cleanly, Looney Tune style. The hole smoked visibly for a few moments before Beauregard let out a comically high-pitched scream, rolling around on his back, clasping his twig and berries with two hands. At this moment, even though they were guarded by his hands, nevertheless, another bullet came through. Struck through and hit the piece of flesh to the side of the penis hole, causing the penis itself to kind of hang from a small edge of it, swinging back and forth, 
having had its center and right support shot off. Thankfully, a comically well-timed, merciful third bullet came through and hit the last part of the penis, (laughs) severing it completely. And as all of us know, once your penis falls off as a man, you die immediately. He died and he did not suffer. Well, except for the first two bullets. He definitely suffered from those. All the fellas here told me when I was writing this letter not to let you know that detail, but I thought it's for the best that you do know all the stakes in your husband's death. Of course, in in accordance to my Jefferson Davis Bible here, that now means you are officially my wife. (laughs) As Beauregard's light was fading and he was slipping into the embrace of death after the first two bullets hit his penis, he wanted me to tell you something. I held him close and he whispered into my ear, Dundas, take care of my wife. Make her toes curl. Please don't tell her I died from getting shot in the dick. Never ever tell her that. Tell her I died because my dick got so big that I had a heart attack thinking about how dick, uh, big my dick was. <laughs> oh, Mabel. Mabel, you are my wife now. And I love you and all that other shit. I'm going to need you to throw out all of his clothes and pictures. And hopefully I don't die and I can be back soon. And if I do die, there are about three more brothers waiting for you down the line. Temporarily yours, Dundas. That was beautiful. It's amazing. It really did have a, a kind of way with words, a warmth to them that, uh, you know, I feel like we definitely miss nowadays. I thought it was incredible that <clears throat> his brother had his penis shot off and immediately died. So, you know... It's like a wasp uses its stinger to defend itself, exactly. and then it perishes. You know, a man well, uses his final piece of his penis, and then he loses it, and he's just, you know, he's gone. Instantly dot. The Instant penis is the death. sword of war, and the sword is the implement of all war. The sword is the gun of the ancient past, and the penis is the gun of the modern era. The, a gun, that's the world we live a in. A gun is an extension of a, a penis. If you if, put your penis in the gun, it feels good. Uh, well, uh, if you look at the human body as an armory, uh, the penis would be the gun, the stomach would be the mess hall, and the brain would be headquarters. That's where the general The brain is the general of the body. Right. Right. And the body... The bra- is the bo- the wo- the body is a war and the it's arms a war. go in the sleeveies. The penis is the pope of the body, I, and the I king is the brain. Well, the brain is like an emperor because it okay, commands so everything. The, so, like a heart is maybe a queen. Is the the heart the heart's the king? A queen, then yeah, a queen. Because like heart, like love. That's like not guy shit, right? And Your arms may- are a shield. Because you can use them to stop bullets. Your legs are the bullet cavalry. Time. And your your testicles are the joker. Your feet are sort of the horse of We're not war. talking about cards. Are the we shoes ta- are sort of the horseshoes of uh, the shoe. Oh, well, but, all right, so like, uh, okay. So the sleeve the holds sho- the aces. All right. The legs are the rook. The arms are the knight. The heart is the queen. Uh... The legs the are the towers. Is shit. It's the Fuck. penis. 
In your the case. The fingers, because you got ten what? fingers. Because it's the, the smallest piece. What? Excuse me? The pawns <laughs> are the fingers. Parky's fucking and the, with me. The smallest part of your body is the penis. <laughs> Alright, I think... I think... I think I'm... I think now's a good time. To, and we got to like our next episode. Uh, we're gonna cover you know like Lewis and Clark and the Alamo, <laughs> and you know the uh, the 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 Irish uh, coming to America, the immigration problem, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, the uh, the Tuskegee Groundmen, Obama, um, you know <laughs> Charles Manson, the Summer of Love, Vietnam, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, and the terrorist Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, France. We're gonna cover France. Just Statue all of, of it? Liberty, right? Um, uh, China, the Chinese. What's the their we- deal? The West Coast offense. We're gonna talk about. Um, well, I think probably in a couple episodes we'll just do. You know, most of America is done from Boston, so we're gonna talk cover like you know, you know the Boondock Saints. We're gonna cover Wahlburgers. We're gonna cover the Red right. Sox. The Departed. The Departed. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Leo DiCaprio again. Yeah. Um, the bo- just he was like the emperor of that movie. We're going to cover uh, the Dropkick Murphys. We're going to cover the Chieftains. <laughs> We're going to cover the Bruins. We're going to cover the Celtics. That shitty song that they always play in The Wire. All of it. Oh, yeah. We're going to cover uh, The Wire. And how it's the most <laughs> important <laughs> show for any man to show his girlfriend. Um... You know, if you want to hop on over, if you're missing more stuff, we got some more stuff on our Patreon. Um, I sit down with local poet Quentin Stillborn, who we have a four episode, four hour episode on the difference between white and red wine. And here's a little teaser for you. It's interesting it's, because he insisted you both did it shirtless, but that's actually kind of something that people were into being patrons. Right. Right. We uh, got some people. There's a lot of pictures of me in like really, really aggressively high waisted corduroy pants. <laughs> right and you you can see my little bird chest that i could eat cereal out of and we're both like probably <laughs> just a combined 200 pounds of just limp-wristed npr voice <laughs> in each of those episodes it's only about five hours long so right. you know and just quick shout out to quentin stillborn you're the loudest sipper of wine i've ever heard in my life well, Quentin isn't that smart. He didn't even know the bottom of the wine bottle was called the punt, and he didn't know how to pour it. So um, that's, I think, all we have for this episode. Our first episode, thank you, Haddock uh, yeah. Feldman, for coming on. Yeah, thank Haddock. you for having me on. It was is, very informative. Uh, you won't be invited it, back, I'm sure, but um, I'm sure you also you got to write a, you know, maybe next time you write a book, um, you know, if you need any help filling out the pages, maybe me and uh, Griffin can help you there. But it was a pleasure to have you. You're oh, I've an got icon. another one on the way. Oh, what's it called? It's called Game of War Fire Age. <laughs> and it's a strategy guide <laughs> to Game of War Fire Age. You can find more It's published of- by Game <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to the first episode of Epic History. I'm Griffin Fester with Parker Bean. Thanking our friend Hannah Philbin, of course, again. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. 